0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. In the beginning. The Garden of Eden was God's intent, created out of his love towards us, the goodness of a good God. God created Adam and put him in a world where he would thrive. So, why doesn't our world look like the original garden? Where did it go wrong? Join us for this six week series as we explore the root of everything, good and bad. It can all be found in the garden.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Man, worshiping was amazing, wasn't it? It's so good to worship together. But hey, before we go any further, will you do me a favor? Help me welcome our first time guests, whether they are in the room or online. We just want to say thank you so much for being here. We hope you're experiencing the presence of God, because for us, that's the most important thing. Well, hey, everybody, we're in a new series today is just part two. And if you did miss any of it, part one is online or on our app, and you can go back and get that really excited for this. We've taken about uh, four years to kind of work on this one, or at least in my soul, it's been going on four years, just really asking God how to make the most of this. And it was about four years ago, I was reading through the story of Genesis two and three. And I noticed that everything was in the garden. Everything good and bad, everything in our lives, the stuff we want, the stuff we don't want, it's got a root in the garden. And I thought, wait a minute, if we can just get back to the beginning, maybe we can fix something. Because what we really discover in the garden, two very important things, we discover everything of what was meant to be and everything of what should not be. But our lives are often the exact reverse of that. We want to get what was meant to be in our lives and what should not be. Out of our lives. So, if you've never read Genesis two or three, if you're not familiar with the story, if it's just been a while, I want to encourage you. Sometime during the series, uh, go and take a read of that. It, it'll take you probably ten minutes. Two short little chapters, and you'll just be more familiar as we're going through the story. So, uh, some of you may uh, relate to uh, this little thing that happened to me this week. Uh, I came home on Monday and I asked my wife how her day was, and uh, she had a massive headache. She was sitting on the couch, and she looked at me and said. This was the worst day since we started back to school. And it just the whole virtual school sort of thing. And a couple hours later, she showed me a post uh, that somebody else had uh, put on the uh, website, uh, Facebook actually, doing the exact same thing. She was in tears over trying to virtual school some kids while having brand new baby and toddler, and, and it was just chaos. And, and uh, what I realized at that moment is that sometimes it is just very hard to say life is good. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, sometimes it's just very hard to say life is good. Even when you want to, even when you're a believer and you're an optimist, there are just days. And maybe it's that you've got a marital situation that is just really taking a toll and you thought would have been resolved earlier, a few days ago, and it still isn't there yet. Maybe it's a loss of a job. I don't know, maybe a worldwide pandemic. If anybody knows what that's like to be in one of those and things not quite go the way you want to. And the truth is, we all know this. Uh, the reason that it's hard to say life is good sometimes is because our world is just broken. And, and we we know that bodies get sick and and hearts get broken and, and souls get hurt. And, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I, I sit with somebody as they're going through some of the most difficult things in their life. And When they ask why, the only answer I can really offer is, well, it's a broken world. Which leads to a really good question, and that's, so how did it get broken? And how did we get here? But I think the best question of all is, can we do anything about it? Can we fix this brokenness? What can we do? And so if you want to go ahead and turn with me to uh, Genesis 2 and 3, if you're following along, we're going to look at both of those uh, here today. As you're turning, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory, because before we get into understanding how broken it is, I want to make sure everybody truly understands how broken it is, theologically and realistically. I want to make sure we understand where we are before we talk about that. And so I'm just going to go ahead and give you a heads up today. I'm going to give you more scripture than I usually do. Usually we try to keep it very simple, and, uh, but as much as I want this to be a simple context, I want you to see all of this in black and white. I want you to know that I'm not just making up this concept out of one obscure little passage. And most importantly, it's because I believe that this could quite possibly be the most important thing that you ever need to understand if you want to fix what is broken in the world and in your life. And I I mean that sincerely so much, I'll even repeat it. I I think that what we're going to talk about today in this series is the most important thing that we need to understand in order to fix what's broken in our life and in our world. So I hope that gets you excited and saying, well, what in the world could that be? So before we get to the main passage, which is where you are, I wanna just give you a little bit of a framework here. And so I'm gonna share with you a story real briefly out of Luke chapter four. This is actually of the devil tempting Jesus. So right before Jesus started his ministry, he went off and he was uh, fasting in the wilderness, uh, praying with the Holy Spirit. And as he came out of that, there was a temptation. Uh, and it was three temptations, actually. The devil offered him three different things. And so I am going to show this one to you. It's out of Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And it says, The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you, I will give all this authority... I'll give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me. I can give you all this authority because it's mine and I give it to anybody that I will. And I'll go ahead and do you a favor and tell you the next verse is not Jesus saying, nah, it ain't yours. That's not the next verse because Jesus knows he's right. Everything that he showed him and said, it's been given to me, had been given to him. We live in a broken world. The Bible even tells us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The Bible tells us that when we make Jesus our king, we are transferred out of the dominion, the authority of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, dominion, authority. So why is our world broken? Simply because Satan has legitimate authority that was given to him. And the worst part, we still give it to him today. And that's why we still experience this. So let me give you the backstory of how this all happened as we get into our main passage today. We're going to go back to the very beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and in doing so, he also created the host of heaven. He created angels. And there were three chief archangels. One of them, his name was Michael, and he was the chief warrior. And so we read about Michael in uh, like the book of Daniel and stories of, of great spiritual battles. Another one, his name was Gabriel. Gabriel was the chief messenger. We hear about him uh, when we watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, one of my favorites. Come on, somebody's gotta be loving that with me. Right, Linus. I I love it every year because they still play it every year. And I'm just amazed that every year the gospel is preached by a cartoon character for all the world to watch. Anyway, that's just me. But so we hear about Gabriel because he's the chief messenger. And then there was a third one. His name was Lucifer and he was supposed to be the chief worshiper. He was supposed to lead the host of heaven and giving all glory to God. And as you can imagine, if one of our worship leaders were to stand on this stage at some point and, and you know, let's pretend it's post-COVID and every chair is packed and everybody's in here and, and we're just, man, it's just anointed and the hands are up and people are singing and maybe even some people get on their knees or something and there's clapping and there's shouting. And you can just imagine that worship leader at that moment could go, man, I'm good. Thinking all of that glory is for him or her. And that's what happened. Satan wanted the glory to belong to God. He wanted God's position, but he couldn't have it. And so he was cast down to the earth. Now, if you were... Uh, here for part one or, or you were worshiping online and saw part one, I want to remind you of what we learned about God's good intent for us. And that is that mankind would rule the earth. We saw this last week. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Let man have dominion. Matter of fact, Psalm 115, it won't be on the screen, just just to share this with you, it says that the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to mankind. Let man have dominion. So Satan, looking around, well, it didn't go like I thought. Guess I don't get his job, don't get his seat in heaven, but guess I can't be God with a big G. But you know what I just noticed? I just noticed that guy over there, he's got everything. God gave all dominion to him. So all I have to do is get him. If I can get him, then I've got everything that belongs to him. Every soul born after him, all of the earth, everything will become mine because he will be mine. I may not be number one big G God, but I'll be number two little G God. I'll be a God to so, so many and in so many ways. So Satan sees the opportunity. And that's exactly what happened if you're watching or following along with us. Here we are, chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Jump to verse 15. The Lord God took the man. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but... We missed that. Every one but one. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And let's jump on over to chapter 3, 4, the day it all went wrong. Maybe you know this as the infamous story of the fall. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God? actually say did God actually say see the very first thing that he did to go after mankind was to attack the word of God he started with wait a minute I'm not really sure you know what you you're supposed to be doing because you don't really know what God said and maybe we need to doubt what God said did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You know what that is? That's a lie. He strictly contradicted the word of God. He said, did God really say? She gave him an answer and he said, by the way, what God said was a lie. God, God, that's not true. And he goes on to explain why he's going to lie. He says, for God knows. No, he's going to attack the character of God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll actually just be like God, knowing good and evil. You're not going to die. God's word is wrong. God's nature is wrong. He doesn't want your good. He's trying to keep you down. He knows that you could be as amazing as him and he doesn't want you to have that. His word is wrong. His nature is not for your good. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And at this moment, two things were lost. Man's relationship with God and man's authority on the earth. Man's relationship with God and man's authority on the earth later in this series we're going to talk about how God is fixing man's relationship with God what we're talking about today is the problem that we have lost man's authority on the earth and you might say wait a minute <laughs> wait just a minute Jimmy all they did was take a bite one little bite of a piece of fruit how can one little thing like taking a bite of a piece of fruit give the whole world to Satan well, we like to say it was just one little sin. The problem is we don't like the word sin in the first place. Uh, anytime they tell you, you know, if you really want people to be happy on a, on a, a Sunday and they're coming to worship, you know, just, just don't use the word sin. Nobody likes that word. Okay, I won't use that word because that's not the right word for what really happened. I'll use a word you do not even like as much as that one, rebellion. Because that's exactly what happened at that moment. God was in authority. Man was under authority. Man was in authority under God's authority. But then mankind rebelled against God's authority. God says, don't, they did. That's that's what rebellion is at its very core. God says, don't, they did. And at that very moment, they rejected God's authority and lost theirs because their authority was given to them by God. Their authority existed under God's authority. When they left God's authority, they lost their own authority. You see, it's a broken world because Satan has legitimate authority that was given to him. And the worst part is that we still give it to him today. And that's what I really want us to talk about and understand because we still give it to him today. And some of you might be getting a little offended right now. Like, I'm not enjoying this. And I don't like you saying that I'm (laughs) being buddies with Satan over there giving him authority today. I don't want to hear that. Well, if you just give me a minute. I know somebody's saying, how do we do that? Thank you for asking, I'll answer. Because what we do is we keep doing the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing today. Let's go back to the story and look, Genesis 3.1. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, the first attack was, and the first attack still is today as God's word, is it the highest authority? Is it true? Can it be trusted? And so many times we're still asking the same question. The problem... Happened right here. I wish that I could tell you that she did not question God's word as the highest authority. But here's how I can prove it. Because the story didn't end right there. You see, what the next sentence should have been should have been the last sentence in the story story, when he said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, which was not correct? She should have just said, nope, he didn't say that at all. Matter of fact, my God is so good, he said I could eat of any tree except that one and I'm really good with that because I've eaten of every other tree and they're quite delicious, so you shut up and leave me alone, story done. That's what she should have said. But she questioned God's word as the highest authority. And when you question God's word as the highest authority, you got to have a new highest authority. You can't have nothing. You've got to replace it. And so when she took God's word and said, this is no longer the highest authority. I've got to have a new highest authority. What did she replace it with? Reasoning. What I think, what I see, what I want, what makes sense to me. Verse six, let's go back to that one. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And it was a delight to the eyes. Oh, that, that is going man, this tree is going to make so much food. It's going to taste so delicious. Oh, it is so beautiful. It, it, I just can't wait to take a bite of that. And she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Not only will this taste good, but, oh, man, I will be a better person for eating this fruit. God's just trying to keep me down. Makes sense to me. And so she took it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And can I just do a timeout? Because I think Eve gets a little bit too bad of a rap in this story sometimes. Matter of fact, sometimes I've even heard people say that all the problems of humanity all goes back to Eve. If I ever get to heaven, I'm going to slap Eve. I've heard people say that. There were four words I hope you didn't miss in there. Who was with her? Yeah, did you get that? And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And And, and here's the point, because if you know that how the story goes, I know we skipped some verses in, in order to just not read two whole chapters here today, but when God told Adam, he put him in the garden, he said, you can eat of all of this, but that one, Eve wasn't there yet. He told that to Adam. He put Adam in charge. He gave Adam all authority. He told Adam to protect that authority. He told Adam to follow his word and to hold his word as the highest authority. And then when Eve comes along, it was Adam's job to make sure that that authority was protected and that she was protected. And Adam should have already had a default question in his head. If Eve ever showed up with a new piece of fruit, I've never seen that one before. What tree did that come from? Before we eat that, uh, uh 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 show me which tree that is because God said something that we can't go against. I've never seen that one. What is that? Where'd you get that? He should have been asking questions. Instead, he did nothing. The whole story plays out who was with her and he did nothing the entire time. What happened is that God's word as the highest authority was replaced by man's reasoning as the highest authority. Did y'all catch that? That is what truly went wrong in the garden. I ask people sometimes just for the moment, like, what went wrong in the garden? Oh, well, you know, somebody made a mistake, somebody ate a piece of fruit. No, no, no. What truly went wrong in the garden is that God's word as the highest authority was replaced by man's reasoning as the highest authority. And, and don't miss the tiny little detail that while God's word as the highest authority, was being replaced by man's reasoning as the highest authority, it's because the one in authority on the earth was giving away his authority. He was abdicating. He sat there and he watched the serpent talk. He watched his wife reason and he did nothing. And so as mankind abdicated his authority, God's word as highest authority was replaced by man's reasoning as the highest authority. Who would like to know if there's a solution to this mess? There's a solution to this mess. Let's finish the story of the devil tempting Jesus because what we just saw happen, the devil shows him everything and he says, all the authority and all of this belongs to me. It's been given to me. I can give it to anybody that I want. His next sentence is, so if you then, Jesus, if you will worship me, it'll all be yours. I'll give it all to you. And Jesus answered him, it is written. It's it's written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Let me paraphrase that for you. What Jesus said was, sorry, buddy. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you want me to. It doesn't matter if I want to. It's written. There is no discussion here. There is no choice here. It is written. You see, kind of because I'm the son of God, God's word is my highest authority. So when God's word is spoken, there's no more decision to be made. Simply because God is God, right? And for you and me, Jesus wouldn't say this, but you and I can say this, because God is God and I am not. Because God is God and he has written and I am not God, whatever is written is what I have to do. There is simply no other choice. Are y'all understanding how simple that was for Jesus? It wouldn't matter if I wanna worship you. Wouldn't matter if I want those kingdoms. I don't have a choice because the highest authority in my life, it's done. It's written, nothing to think about, nothing to talk about, conversation over. It is written. Some of you may know the, uh-oh, famous quarter uh, quarterback, famous coach, Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning Tony Dungy. And uh, some people, though, don't know how he got to that point in his life. You know, if you st- sit back and if you're not an athlete and you just try to kind of wonder, hey, how did they win this year? You make the assumption that a team wins because they had the best players and everything just kind of clicked. And uh, well, the truth is, no, that's not how that works. Matter of fact, most of the time or much of the time, uh, some of the best players are sitting at home in their living room uh, watching the Super Bowl take place because there are great players everywhere. How did he win? It wasn't just about trying to get the best players and hope for the best. He actually had a theory and he put his theory to work and he's, he, he got the team owners to be on, on board with this. <clears throat> and the theory was this, if I can get my players to not think, Y'all follow that? If I can get my players to not think when the ball snaps, because when the ball snaps and they start debating their options and they start wondering what I should do given what I see, that's the difference of a nanosecond, a half a second, several seconds. And and everybody who knows anything about professional football, a half a second is the difference between a quarterback sack or throwing the game-winning touchdown. And so he understood. If we give them time to think, the other team, has already executed the play. So you say, here's what we're gonna do. When the ball is snapped, you do what is written in the playbook. You don't think, you don't look, it doesn't matter. But I I wanna hit that guy. Nope, you stand here, you hit that guy, it is written. I don't wanna hit that guy, he's mean, he's bigger than me. It is written, hit that guy. When the ball is snapped, hit that guy. I don't wanna hit that, no, I wanna hit, I don't like him. And we went to college together, I wanna hit that guy. It is written, you are not hitting that guy. It is written, you are hitting this guy. You do not think, you don't look, you do not debate, you don't even look at that guy. When the ball is snapped, you just do what is written. No options. You don't get options because it is written. guess what he did? He won a Super Bowl. Because he had a simple philosophy, if you just do what is written over and over and over, you get better and better and better and you get faster and faster and faster and they won a Super Bowl over it. And Jesus defeated the devil over it. And so if you and I want to be like Jesus, not Tony Dungy, if we want to fix everything that is wrong in our lives, what is written has to be our highest authority. God's word has to be our highest authority. If it is written, it is done. The problem that we see today when we look around and go, man, this is a broken world. And we just cry and we're upset. Or maybe we blame God because it's a broken world. And we say, why is it like this? It's because too many of us still allow our reasoning to be the highest authority. Our reasoning, what we want. We look around and we think, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, oh, come on. How many of us have said, I know what the Bible says, but at some point in our lives? Some of us, y'all are are liars because you didn't raise enough hands there. Oh, no, but you're in trouble. I'm watching out for lightning bolts coming down. We've all done it. Every one of us at some point in our lives, like, oh, well, I know what the Bible says, but. I know the Bible says to forgive, but then the little whisper comes. Oh, you know, I know God says to forgive, but no, no, no. You don't. Listen, did God really say forgive when somebody hurts you that badly? I'm pretty sure when God said forgive, it was for one of those little kind of things where you don't hurt too much. I mean, man, you are hurt. Like this person really did something wrong with you. They should. This shouldn't be allowed. They should be getting punished by God right now. Did God really say to forgive something that bad? Yeah, God said forgive because you've been forgiven. And what happens because we experience this broken world, we don't understand. It's actually proven in scientific studies. When we don't forgive, the weight of anxiety and bitterness actually begins to have physiological effects on our body. And we're saying, God, I need you to heal me. I've I've got this or I've got that or anxiety or I've got problems. And the doctor says he can't figure out what's wrong. God, I know what's wrong. I told you to forgive. I'd, I'd love to answer that prayer. The problem is you're not under my authority anymore. Because you're doing something else. It is written. Forgive. It is written. Keep your body sexually pure because it is his temple. But then we go, ooh, I like that person. Ooh, I think that would feel good. We, I think. No, we don't get to think. It is written. This is his temple. It is written. Honor God with our finances. Put him first and everything. It is written. But then we don't do that and then we find ourselves struggling because we have taken what belongs to God and we're doing something or what we want to do with it. It is written, if i got any teenagers and, and, and kids listening to this, it is written, obey and honor your parents. Nobody likes that one. And there's not a human alive that did not at some point disobey or dishonor their parents. But, but here's the deal. What we miss, and parents pay attention to this one, what we're supposed to do is to be teaching what I'm preaching. That's, that's the role of a parent is to teach what I preach. When you say, nope, I'm sorry, you don't get to go to that party on Friday night, what we are teaching them is to lay aside their reasoning, to lay aside what they want, to do what their highest authority at that point in their life tells them to do. So that when they grow up and they think, I wonder what I want to do about this, they find out that it's not about what they want. They've been trained since they were a child to do what the highest authority in their life says. It's it's about understanding our will is not what we follow because our will gets us into trouble. Adam and Eve had a will, and look where it got them. It's not about what we want. It is written, don't lie, even on your tax returns. It is written, don't steal. Even the change in the little thing As you know, but we can do something about it, and that's the good news. I wouldn't stand up here today and and tell you all that is wrong if I didn't tell you that it doesn't have to stay that way. Somebody say, praise God for that one. So who wants some good news? I'm going to give you some good news. The, the story that we read with, with the devil tempting Jesus and the devil telling Jesus all this is mine and Jesus didn't disagree because it was true. The devil claiming all this has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. I can give it to anybody I want because it's been given to me and Jesus didn't disagree with him. That was at the beginning of his ministry. That was that was right before he began to do all the miracles and all the stories that you know him for and that you love him for. After Jesus was crucified and he conquered sin and the power of sin by taking the sacrifice on himself setting you and me free after jesus was raised from the dead conquering the power of death offering all of us eternal life he met with his disciples you want to know what he said to him all authority has been given to me all authority in heaven all authority on earth has been given to me. And he keeps going. So I want you to go and make disciples to the end of the earth. And the reason you can make disciples, the reason that you can see life's changed, the reason that you can do what I'm telling you to do is because I've got it. All authority has been given to me. And at this point, I hope at least one of you is logical enough to go. Then Jimmy, why'd you just waste my time for the last 20 minutes? Because you just told me it's all fixed now. We didn't need to talk about all the stuff that is wrong. Except that, we can all look at the world around us and go, it sure doesn't look like all authority belongs to Jesus. That does, that's not the world I witness. I, anybody watch the news lately? It does not look like Jesus is running the show. So let me, let me help us understand where we currently live. Hebrews 2, 7, you crowned him with all glory and honor and you placed everything under his feet. Speaking of Jesus. When God subjected all things to him, all things, everything, he has all authority in the heavens and on the earth, he left nothing. Nothing. Y'all understand the word nothing? I discovered in the Greek when I studied that this week that it means absolutely nothing. He left nothing outside of his control. Yet at present we do not see. Isn't that a really baffling thing? God Gave everything to him. Put everything under his feet. Jesus defeated sin and death and everything. Wait a minute, then why don't we see? Two reasons. The first one, I want you to imagine that you've got what you think is a friend. We've all got those people. We went to college with them, right? I had a college friend that would just take my car. He knew where I kept a spare key. I would come back from class. I literally couldn't even drive my own car. And so, let's pretend we have a friend. At least we think they're a good friend. And so uh, we give them a key to our house. And one day we come back to our house and find it has been robbed. And it didn't have to be broken into, whoever robbed it used a key. And so we get it rekeyed. We repent. We say, God, I'm really sorry I did that. And that guy thought I could trust that guy and what he was saying, but I I can't really do that. And so we get it rekeyed. And then the next day, our old friend knocks on the door and says, hey, man, I couldn't quite get in. You mind if I have the new key? And for whatever dumb reason, we give him the key every day of our life. Oh, sure. Here you go. Have the key. I'm sure you won't do that again. We come back home, our house has been broken into, everything has been stolen, but nothing was, was messed up with the lock because somebody used a key. And we call the police and we repent and we get it re-keyed. Then he shows back up and knocks again. Man, I've really been missing you and all that stuff we used to do on Friday night. Oh man, it's been so sad not hanging out with you. Hey, it'd be a little easier to get to you if I could just have a key. And we give him a key again. If you didn't follow the analogy, I'll make it like simple for you. We've got a fake friend who whispers in our ear just like he did Eve. Oh, come on, God doesn't want your best. He's just trying to keep you from enjoying life at that thing on Friday night. Why don't you come on out? Look, don't worry, we won't tell your wife. We won't tell your husband. Don't worry about, you." you know, whatever the story is, we get ourselves into some trouble. Then we say, oh God, I'm so sorry, won't do that again. We cut off access from the enemy. But then we wake up a new day. How dare you cut me off in traffic? I am so angry at you. I'll never forgive you. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Wake up the next day. Uh, So you mean that I can actually, like, have a beach house in 10 years if we just fudge my tax returns a little bit? The reason at present we do not yet see the authority of Jesus is because every single day the followers of Jesus and the rest of the world, too, keeps giving the key right back to the same guy that Adam and Eve gave it to. Jesus took it away, and we keep giving it back. One day, one decision, one moment at a time. That's the first reason we don't see. Second reason that we don't see is because, and this is a perfect illustration, most every war that has ever been fought on the earth, when the war is over, all the fighting doesn't immediately stop. Civil War in America is a perfect example. When General Lee signed the papers at Appomattox Courthouse and had surrendered and declared the Civil War to be done, not everybody stopped fighting. The devil doesn't play by the rules. First thing you need to learn is if the devil played by the rules, none of this would have ever happened. None of it. Jesus won, he has all authority. The devil knows it. He's seen the end of the book. He knows he has lost. But just because he's lost doesn't mean he won't try to take as many people down with him as he can. Hey, would you just mind giving me that key? I realize Jesus won, but I bet I can get you to give me that key. And we do. And between a devil that doesn't play by the rules and is just trying to figure out how many of us he can tempt into doing something that gives him the authority in our lives. This is why the Bible tells us We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I know you think you do. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. And for all of those trying to get through virtual school, it is not your kids. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against, don't miss these words, rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reason we don't experience a world that is whole is because we're still wrestling with authorities and the power of authority that we constantly give away. Every single time that we do anything but what God's Word says, then we have removed the highest authority and we've been removed from the favor and blessing that comes with it. My pastor and, and mentor is and also my theology professor in college, and very famous for always saying this authority is the most fundamental principle in the universe. If you get this one, everything else falls in line. The universe is driven by principles. And, and this is the most fundamental principle in the universe. It's all about authority. It, do you have authority? Whose authority are you under? I'm not going to ask, Are you under authority? Because you're under authority. The question is just, Whose authority are you under? Can't be nobody. It's either God's or it's Satan's. Because every time we step out from under God's authority, we put ourselves in the same boat as Adam and Eve. We take the authority that was given to us. Jesus said, Look, all authority has been given to me. Here's your mission. And then sadly, instead of every moment of our lives, every decision being made, being for the mission, doing what is written, we say, oh, that that would feel good. That would, that would be nice. I think I want to do it that way. I see that this tree is good for food. It sure is pretty. Such a delight to the eyes. Matter of fact, it looks like I'll even... Be kind of better off in the end. So my challenge for us is to choose your highest authority. We'll close with this. It's out of Joshua. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, okay, then just choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. (laughs) Whether the gods of your ancestors served or, or the gods in whose land you're living, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time helping people with the struggles of life. And this may sound a little anecdotal, but I'm going to tell you my observation, and I believe it to the core. There are things in this world we can't control simply because it is a broken world. There is sickness and there is death. But the last time I checked, if you're a believer, death is not a bad thing, it's a good one. We're going to be with him where there is nothing broken anymore. In addition to some sickness and some other chaos in the world, we're surrounded by billions of people who do not hold God's word as the highest authority. Are we surprised? That the world's a little chaotic. But in my experience as a pastor, what you experience because of a broken world, I firmly believe is the minority of our life condition. What I see as the majority of our life condition is the choices we make either to be under His authority or to be under the control of our new authority, the devil. Every time we walk away from what is written. See, if you were here for part one, you remember one of the intents that God has for his good mankind, and we read it in that verse earlier, and God blessed them. And remember, we talked about blessing is a state of favor that God pronounces upon you. God put man in the garden. God says, here you go. Here's what you're going to do. All authority is given to you. And now I put upon you a state of favor. The problem is the state of God's favor is only found in God's authority. You will never in your life in any other way experience living in the state of God's favor outside of his authority. And so if you want your life to reflect and God bless you, and God bless you, if that's what you want and God bless you, then the only way you're going to experience the state of favor upon your life is if you are back under God's authority. If God's word is the highest authority, choose this day who will be your highest authority. You see the chief rebel, he lost it all. And he decided, let me see who else I can get to rebel with me. And we'll all be down here together. And we'll all share this piddly stuff. And we'll trade it. We'll take those heavenly riches and blessings. No, no, no. We're, we're going to have this brokenness. Because rebellion." Well, misery loves company. I bet I can get some of them to go with me. But Jesus said, (laughs) it's written. My father, his words, they're the highest authority. There's nothing else. There's no other thought, no other discussion, nothing else. It's written. So, choose this day whom you will serve. I've made my decision. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you and ask you to help us. Because there are a lot of things that, just like what Adam and Eve saw, looks good, seems right. It's kind of hard sometimes to wonder why we have to do what you said, especially when you said it so long ago. It's real easy to kind of reason So we ask you, God, pour out your grace upon us and help us. Help us be people filled with your spirit, drawn by your spirit to do what you say so that we can experience the state of your favor upon our lives. And one thing at a time, we take back the authority that's been lost. And we start right now, God, Saying, as for me and my house, the authority of God reigns. As for me and my house, if it is written, it is decided. As for me and my house, we want your favor. As for me and my house, we want your presence. As for me and my house, help us, God. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Jesus came died after living a perfect life so that when his blood was shed it would pay for all of our rebellion it would pay for every time we gave the keys away to the enemy it would erase that debt it would set us right with god and it would give us the gift of eternal life where we get to experience our righteousness with god the problem is some of us have yet to take advantage of this incredible and miraculous opportunity. Maybe because the devil's been whispering to you too. Oh, that's not really. You don't need to believe in hell. It's, it's not a real thing and heaven's not that great and God doesn't really keep record and, and he's such a good God. He just, he's just gonna forget it all. He is willing to forgive it all. But he does it through an exchange with his son. And if you've never accepted the free gift that came through the love of God, of Jesus' death and resurrection, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, if you're driving in a car, if you're sitting in a living room, worshiping online, if you're in the room with us right now, Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with them, everybody. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.